Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, tax time is right around the corner. Minnesota faces an alarming health care worker shortage, and Lindsey Whalen is headed to the Basketball Hall of Fame. But first... The House stands adjourned at 11 a.m. Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. Minnesota lawmakers are on their spring break for Passover and Easter, and before leaving, they officially drew battle lines on what to do with Minnesota's record budget surplus. Republicans and Democrats could hardly be further apart. Eminence's Bill Werner talked with Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz about the situation and prospects for any agreement. They have staked out their positions on a variety of things, mostly regarding um, the uh, issue of spending of the government surplus and of the different programs they want to do. And it doesn't look like at this point there is a lot of common ground. Um, and instead, it looks like they have a long way to go between now in May in terms of resolving their basic disagreements. So is that ultimately possible, Professor? When the session started, many of us argued that that the nothing had to actually get done during this session and that instead the session would be, let's say, cloaked in posturing for the 2022 elections. And I think largely that's turned out to be the case so far is that there hasn't been a lot of incentive to cooperate, to, to really reach agreement on things. And instead, they really do seem to be laying out their positions, not just as legislative positions, but in many ways as political positions for the 2022 elections. And that's what's making it so hard, I think, for there to be any resolution of them, because these are really what campaign issues and not legislative proposals. I discussed this topic with someone who's, uh, it's, it's an off-the-record conversation, so I'll, I'll just refer to it without, so we are not able to identify the person, but this person, um, high up, a lawmaker, um, I asked this person, hey, are we ultimately going to end up uh, at, the, at the finish of this session with very little in terms of result uh, and a lot of money left uncommitted as the parlance around the Capitol is on the bottom line, um, perhaps even billions of dollars. And this person said that uh, they believe that there is going to be impetus for something to be done, that lawmakers are going to think that their voters expect to have at least something done and that will push it some direction. Do you agree with that, that we might get some modicum of, of something done in this uh, legislative session? I think it's possible there's going to be something small, but it's certainly not going to be a, a, a global grand thing. I think at the end of the day, the governor, the Republicans in the Senate and the House Democrats all want to be able to go back to their constituents and say, here's something. Um, mm. All the incumbents want to be able to have something. And so I think there's going to be some agreement on something, um, but it's so that everybody can claim a little bit of a victory. But in the sense of a kind of a grand compromise or grand bargain, um, I'm not seeing that emerging right now. Again, for the reason that at the end of the day, a lot of what's going on here is what? Posturing for 2022 elections. But think about it in a different way also. I think... For the Republicans, they have 
probably less incentive to cooperate than do the Democrats, because the Democrats are in control of the governorship in the House. They're sort of running the government right now. And if the Republicans um, were to get their way, let's say they pick up the House, let's say they pick up the governorship, they get to do everything um, with the money next year. They get to do whatever they want with with public safety. And so I think they're in a slightly less position to cooperate than and have less incentive to agree than do the Democrats, who, be, as the party in power, have, have more incentive to have to want to deliver something. Would it be fair to say, too, that the Democrats, because I think it's generally acknowledged that their tent is broader than Republicans, right. that, that they might tend to, that some of their supporters might not be quite as, for lack of a better term, loyal, uh, and, and there might be more peel-off uh, among uh, potential Democratic allies than there would be among uh, Republicans. Is that reasonable? That's a reasonable proposition to argue that they have more interests to have to address and therefore have to do more to hold their their coalition together. Let me ask you this, if we can, just very quickly. Let, let's go down the three kind of the three budget areas, those being uh, what to do with the surplus in terms of tax cuts versus rebates or whatever, walls, checks or, or whatever else is, is has been proposed. And then talk about uh, education, which kind of factors in, it doesn't kind of, it does factor into the into the issue of what to do with the surplus. And, and then finally, public safety. Um, so what do you think? Do you think there's going to be any sort of a rebate check out of this, or do you think there'll be a modicum of, of a permanent tax cuts or, or, or a mix of things? It's just too soon to tell on all this stuff. I know you want to get to an answer, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, this 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 is what I hate doing. This is forecasting, and I won't do it. <laughs> I understand. Um, okay. Do you think it would be reasonable to assume that, uh, that Democrats would get some of what they want in terms of some additional funding for education where Republicans are very resistant to really to putting any additional money into the system? Anything is possible. Um, I just don't see right now, um, any of the incentives coming to drive them to the bargaining table. And I still see a lot of incentives um, against them reaching agreement. That is Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. Well, even with lawmakers on break, the debate over tax cuts did not pause this week. The governor stopped at Minnesota State University Moorhead touting his plan for walls checks, $1,000 for married couples, $500 for singles. The governor pointing to the large budget surplus. Minnesota is in a strong position, first and foremost, to make sure that we're able to lower taxes on the middle class. We're able to return checks to folks right now. Clay County Republican Party Chairman Rodney Johnson responded. Seems awful uh, presumptuous of himself to call Walls checks. It's not his money. It's money that the government has because they overtaxed us. It'd be really a better deal all around if they would reduce taxes and uh, quit taking so much money from us in the first place. I think it makes sense to send some of this back, but I don't think we should get crazy and set ourselves up for if there's an economic downturn, we're still uncertain of where, whether the war in Ukraine or others uh, causes problems. Governor Tim Walls. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. 
Throughout the state, Minnesota Electric Co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Well, many of us may know April 18th is the tax deadline for filing 2021 income tax returns. I got the latest from the Minnesota Department of Revenue's Ryan Brown about what Minnesotans need to know before and after filing. Sure. So, so far we've seen about 1.9 million uh Tax returns already come in, and about 1.1 million refunds already go out. Um, we expect to get around 2.9 to 3 million returns filed this year. So for those who haven't filed, uh, we encourage them, no matter when they file, um, to file electronically and use direct deposit for any refund. Now, this is the most secure and convenient way to file their taxes and to get any refund they may be entitled to. Um, we do have free file options available on our website, and that's for uh, Minnesotans with an adjusted gross income of $73,000 or less. We find that about one out of three Minnesota taxpayers may qualify for that. Um, so if they think they qualify, they should go to our website and do the keyword search free file, and that'll take them to those options that are available. Perfect. And if we have folks that have already filed and they want to track um, the return, what can they do? Sure. So we um, this year, uh, we find that most returns that we receive are being processed within three weeks after we receive the return. Um, but as always, every return is different, and some of those times may, may vary based on our review. Um, but if they want to track their refund, they can do so on our website um, and just search the keyword, where's my refund, and it'll come up with the stage that their refund is in, and if their refund has been sent, it'll give them the date that we sent that refund. And Ryan, if we've got some listeners who are, for whatever reason, sending out uh, through regular mail their returns, uh, when should they have it in by? Um, They should have that postmarked by April 18th um, to make sure it gets in and timely. And any any allowances for uh, late returns to be sent in that we can inform people about? Yep, so... Um, in Minnesota, taxpayers automatically have until October 17th to file before we would charge a late filing penalty. Um, there's nothing they need to do to get that extra time. They don't need to submit a form or anything like that. But they should note that this is for filing only. Um, so if they owe tax, that would still be due on that April 18th date. So to avoid penalties and interest on that, um, they should pay any tax owed by that April 18th due date and then file their return on or before October 17th. Perfect. I think that's what I was looking for, unless there's anything else you can think of that we didn't discuss. Um, the only other thing with that extra time is um, on the federal level, um, they'll need to go to the IRS website uh, to request an extension to that October date. Um, they can do that on the IRS website and just uh, search that keyword extension. Thank you to my guest, Ryan Brown, with the Minnesota Department of Revenue. 
Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A new state report shows Minnesota could face an alarming health care worker shortage in five years. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Many health care workers say they are planning to exit the field and switch professions entirely. In fact, the data shows one in five rural health providers said they plan to leave the professions in the next five years, with the largest projected losses to be among physicians. So what's driving this? job dissatisfaction and burnout. Joining me today is Carrie Mortrude, an RN and Minnesota Nurses Association staffing specialist. Carrie, this is a very scary report. Can you share with me your initial thoughts to the report's findings? Sure. I think one of the key points that the report supports is that this has been a problem for a while and that the recent pandemic that we've gone through have just highlighted that understaffing impacts patient care and that we are losing nurses with experience and long-term commitment to hospital facilities that help to educate and mentor new nurses when they come in. And so this is really a crisis right now in that nurses that have been around for a while realize that the risk that they're sometimes taking going into work is greater than what they're willing to give up. And so the report says that we actually we have to do something about staffing because nurses are not willing any longer to risk their patient safety as well as their professional license and work in these conditions. And so, you know, nurses have been saying this for a very long time. I'm glad that the report has come out, but it's not surprising to me and to our organization and many of the nurses that I've worked with and that we represent. Carrie, kind of dissecting the report and looking at some of the key findings, what really jumped out at me was how many people really, really want to exit the healthcare field especially in those rural outstate areas. Growing up uh, in Montevideo, I couldn't imagine uh, having these shortages and, and coming to this point. What can we be doing, I guess, to ensure patient safety and getting folks uh, to want to stay and work in these areas? The amount of opportunity is less. And so we do need to focus on what draws people there, what keeps people there, and how do we address that. But I would also say that we have to make sure that we don't let the reason that they can't recruit people to any kind of industry, especially healthcare, be a reason why patients in those areas should receive less care or substandard care. And so when we talk about staffing, we don't we don't support different rules or different regulations for different parts of the state because we believe any patient, wherever they are, deserves the highest level of care that they require. And so while it is a concern, we are more than happy to get to the table and talk to anybody about ways to recruit and retain 
all healthcare workers and especially nurses. And I think that the people that know that the most are the nurses in the community. Ask them what it would take to get them to stay, to help them do their day-to-day work. That's the, that's the best way to figure out how to solve a problem is ask the people that are in the middle of it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like healthcare burnout has been around for years, but the COVID-19 pandemic really brought it to a whole new crisis level. If things don't drastically change soon, should patients like me be worried, or I'll put it bluntly, scared we won't be able to seek critical care in those times of need? I think so, and you know, it's a tough if it's a it's a tough question because nurses don't want to scare the public. We don't want to scare patients, but at some point we as patient advocates, we have to actually tell the truth on what's going on in the hospitals and we're at a scary point. I left a long time ago because staffing was a problem and my whole goal, a professional goal was to to fix it so that maybe one day I could go back and we just haven't gotten there yet. And the stories I hear from the nurses and the situations that they're working in, I wonder how sometimes any of them are still there and still doing it. And I I do worry and wonder, you know, as my parents age and need care and as I age and might need care, what it's going to be like. Are we all going to just be in our homes and hoping that someone comes to take care of us or, You know, the sickest of the sickest of the sickest is who's going to end up in the hospital. And at that point, then you need even more staff because they're so critically ill. And so, yeah, it it is. And, um, you know, the word burnout is, is kind of a touchy subject because burnout tends to blame the individual that they're not tough enough. They're not strong enough. They can't just suck it up. And so it really comes down to almost a, a moral suffering in that, Nurses and, you know, especially nurses and physicians recently have been faced with this situation that they know what they're supposed to do and they know what they were trained to do to help people in this critical time of need and they can't do it. They physically can't be in five rooms at one time. They can't be catching people as they get frustrated and a call light's not being answered so they just get up on their own and take themselves to the restroom and then they fall, right? I mean, it's just over and over and over again. And you just see nurses just start to crumble. And, you know, they they decrease their work agreement. They choose to look at other places for employment because they just can't face one more shift. We have nurses that tell us they go in and they're already crying before they get there. Or they're so stressed out they don't know how they're going to make it through their shift. And then you don't want to bring that home to your family, but at some point you have to have somewhere to talk about these moral injuries that just keep adding on and on and on. And nurses strive to do the best they can every single time. And in a system that doesn't support them at some point, it's just going to break and fall apart. Thanks again to my guests, Carrie Mortrude, an RN and Minnesota Nurses Association staffing specialist. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. 
So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Gopher women's basketball coach Lindsay Whalen learned a few weeks ago that she'll be a National Basketball Hall of Fame member. Whalen, who started as a high school player in Hutchinson, as a college player at the U of M, as a pro player with the Minnesota Lynx, and as an Olympic star for Team USA, will be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts in September. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm talked to Whalen about the honor going all the way back to when she was notified she might get in. Yeah, so I think I, f- I found out partway through the season around, I want to say, holiday time of year that it was I was a finalist say they named 10 and it would come down to a certain amount of votes Mm -hmm. and they'd let you know on whatever it was I thought about it a little bit during that time I thought about it some at the end of my career coming from I don't know playing in Hutch and playing here at the U but watching NBA WNBA all-time greats to be then even just considered into that class of that class of basketball history was uh, it was just to even think about that was really cool. And then I was like, oh, that would be a, that would be quite the exclamation point on a career. And so I thought about it a little bit at the end of my career. And then for sure, leading up to those days, I had a lot of time to sit and think cause I had COVID and, oh. <laughs> I found out on my last day of isolation that I was in the Hall of Fame and they gave me a call. And so then I, I called just a few people. You know, it's kind of one of those things that they say, well, it's Monday. It won't go out till Saturday. So keep it quiet. But then it's like, <laughs> how are you supposed to do that? So I called my parents and called called Ben. He was at work. Like I said, it was a it was a Monday. And next thing you know, you're in New Orleans and doing all that, celebrating with your classmates. So it was pretty, pretty big whirlwind. Yeah, it, it it's it's amazing, and yeah, thank goodness you were able to come out of come out of a COVID. Were you did did you get sick? Was it or did you have symptoms? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty sick. So we, yeah, it was it was right after we we finished in the WNIT. So we went out and played on that Sunday, and at South Dakota State. Yep. And that Tuesday, we had a couple year end meetings, um, staff meeting Monday, and then some individual meetings Tuesday. And throughout Tuesday, I progressively was kind of just got a more of a cough, like a dry cough. And then I woke up, I woke up Wednesday with a fever and was in aches. And I mean, I wasn't in rough shape, but it was, it was for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of that week. It was not great. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I woke up like Saturday through the weekend and I was thinking like, oh man, yeah, I'm, I've, um, I've kind of bounced back here. So I feel really good um, now. Uh, but but it was kind of yeah two three days there it was kind of miserable man that's a heck of a year you had an appendectomy and COVID all in the same season yeah it's uh, hard to 
really kind of put those two things in order. I mean, I've had, that's kind of been my, my, my downtime. I've, I've either had an, uh, surgery or I've, I've been struck by the, the, the pandemic. That's kind of been my, my downtime with, with just the way that, you know, things are with the transfer portal. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to get into that, get into, um, get into that, but it's, it's, it's kind of the way of our world now in, in college sports and, a couple of little medical hits this year, but still standing, still here, still ready to go. So yeah. feeling good. And, and you're on episode 15. So what, what can you say? We will talk about the transfer stuff in, in a bit, but I want to uh, really hit on this Hall of Fame. So you got the call. You had to keep it a secret. Uh, tell us how the call went. I mean, did they tell you to expect a call either way or only if yeah. you got uh, or only if you were selected as, as one of the inductees? Either way, they call you. Okay. So you either get. I guess, you know, there's really not bad news. I mean, obviously you want to get in, but you're still a Hall of Fame finalist. So you either get the call or that, that they're saying yay or nay, essentially. So, so yeah, it just was, I mean, it was pretty brief. And then, you know, um, people from the Hall of Fame get to you and get your flight scheduled and all that stuff. So, yeah, they, they call you either way, though. So there's some people that have probably gotten the call a bunch of times that, you know, and then you wait till next year and kind of move on. But um, I was fortunate. It was my, I guess it was my first and only call yeah. to the hall of fame. <laughs> so you say hello. And what do they say? Say, well, uh, so how you doing? How's your day? And then he said, well, I'm about to make your day a lot better. And then he did. That's great. <laughs> so he's like, well, glad you're, I said, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in and you know, having a good day. I didn't really, at that point, I don't know him. So I didn't tell him anything about the fact that I'm just getting over COVID, but yeah, so he said, "Well, I'm going to make your day a whole lot better," and he certainly did. Yeah, that's crazy. So you were alone. Your your husband's at work. You're just uh, hanging out with with hanging your... out at home in isolation, up in up in our you know up in my bedroom. And dogs were home, so let them know. Got some good tail wags going, and <laughs> called my mom because I knew she was she was painting her kitchen, so I knew she'd be available. And then I tried my dad. He was playing pickleball, and then I tried Ben, and he was in a meeting. So we got you know I called him later. And, you know, we had a nice dinner and, and kind of celebrated that night a little bit. So it was my last night out of isolation. So we six feet away, had a nice little dinner and, and celebration. And I, um, I don't know. I really thought about my, I thought about my grandparents a lot too. I mean, I thought about my family and my parents, but my grandparents, my two grandpas and my grandma who've passed away, who were so supportive and at, at every game they could, I still have my grandpa's lucky hat, my lucky gopher hat sitting on my desk right here. So in honor of my grandpa, Casey, we had lamb chops, which was Ooh. one of the favorite foods of, of his and had some lamb chops. Then uh, what else do we have? I think some asparagus, sweet potato, just a kind of your classic meal. And then that was that. So it was, um, it was nice. Just in, and like I said, at that point we were, I was at the tail end. So i <laughs> um, able to celebrate a little bit that night. That's Basketball Hall of Fame inductee-to-be Lindsey Whalen with m and Sports Director Mike Grimm. That conversation was part of a longer interview Mike conducted on his Go Gopher podcast from TalkNorth.com. You can hear the entire hour-long interview there. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. station.